Are you freaking kidding me? Oye, chico, que kidding me ni que kidding me. Oh, come on. We'll have to see that one. Enough is enough. It's time to put America first. Welcome, everyone. Bienvenidos to another podcast for the Hispanics Lead Right, presented by the Republican National Hispanic Assembly of Florida. And we are back. I'm your co-host, Santiago Avila Jr. I'm your other co-host, Michael Bowman. Or the Anglo-Hispanic. Whatever you want to call me today. Anglo-Hispanic, Bodog, Mike Bowman. I I got a lot of names, I guess. So, folks, uh, on this uh, session or segment of Hispanics Lead Right, we have a special guest with us here today. Uh, We'd like to welcome uh, Anne-Marie Genosa. Janusa. 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 Say it right. Janusa. He's not from up north. He doesn't know. <laughs> it's okay. He doesn't know a lot of things. It's okay. We'll forgive him. That's all right. <laughs> and Marie, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. How are you guys? We're doing good. Not bad. Uh, long, long week, but uh, made it through. It's Friday the 13th. It is. Oh, boy. Friday the 13th. I don't know if I should be insulted or happy. <laughs> you know? We'll see what kind of weird stuff happens on this episode. <laughs> So, uh, Anne-Marie, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a very interesting person, and uh, we want to we hear a little bit about you. Um, well, I'm uh, 52 years old. I know women aren't supposed to tell their age, but I will. <laughs> and uh, I'm originally from New York. New York? I, I, New York. Uh, originally from the Bronx, actually. And then uh, my formulative years, I was, uh, lived up in Westchester County, a small town called Silver Lake. And in 1999, I relocated down here uh, with my husband at the time and our two children. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, word on the street is that is uh, that you've been on a special show, I hear? Yeah, a while ago. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, my, my, my kids' friends who are now in their 20s called me up one night and they're like, are you on Netflix? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Am I on Netflix? And um, I had been interviewed, now it's probably about nine, ten years ago, for a case that I had done. The, the defendant's name was Celeste Fox, and I was the first episode in Women Behind Bars. So I don't know if it's season, I think it's season one, episode one or three, and the name of the lady was Celeste Fox. So I'm curious, Anne-Marie, is that maybe where, uh, did you ever see uh, Michael Bowman in any of those uh, women behind uh, bars? Hey, 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 hey. No, they actually, it was just a women's only show, so unless he was dating or married to one of them, that he would really not be relevant to I, the show. Was that the time where you were identifying as a woman, Michael? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we're just teasing uh, Mr. The, the Anglo-Hispanic here, and I like to uh, joke around a lot. Look at his later. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I will. He he goes sometimes from calling me rhino to calling me a hippo. Well, no, hey, hey, I, I was told your wife was going to do some special cooking tonight. For this She's going to smack you. She's going to smack you. So let's get back to the important things on hand. Um, tell us a little bit about your experience, Anne-Marie. 
Um, I received my Juris Doctorate at Temple in Philadelphia, Temple University School of Law. Uh, I actually had the choice of, um, I applied to every public defender agency when I got out of law school, uh, even in Miami. Uh, I did Miami, I did the Bronx, I um, did a few other cities because I was really wanted to be a public defender. And I actually got the phone call from the, in New York they call them legal aid attorneys. It's the Legal Aid Attorney Criminal Defense Division. And I got the phone call at the time, I think the guy's name was Bob Baum. And he said to me, look, I can offer you um, a job, but you know, we have five boroughs and I just hope you don't want Manhattan because everybody wants Manhattan. Because at the time, JFK Jr. was practicing law as a district attorney. So it was very prestigious to be down there. I said, no, actually, um, I'd like to go back to my roots and where my family's from, and I'd like to have the Bronx. And he looked at me and he said, you know, 20 years I've been doing this job. I've never had anybody request the Bronx. And I said, well, does that mean I get it? <laughs> and so I worked in the Bronx for the first four years of my career doing exclusively criminal defense work right by Yankee Stadium on 161st and Grand Concourse. How did that feel going back to uh, your roots? I loved it. I loved it. It was the, the community is a great community. It was definitely a, a very Latino community. I'm, I mean, you had everything. You had Dominicans. You had, you know, Puerto Rican. Um, I mean, everything. Any, anybody that speaks either Latin or Spanish, Mexican, was in the Bronx, and it was really great. Great food, great people, they all had heart, you know, and New York is very, very fast. Yes. So um, I had the pleasure, well, sometimes displeasure, of appearing before um, Judge Scheinlin, Judge Judy's husband. I actually worked with Judge Judy's daughter, oh, wow. stepdaughter, Nicole. Um, went to their wedding. So we really, it, we were all, it was a great community. And it, being a public defender there was a dream job. I mean, if you're going to do criminal defense work, you want to be in a location that you can actually do some good. And I enjoyed the, the four years, you know, almost five years I spent there. So. And then after that, was that when you came to Florida at that point? Yes. After um, we had had our second child, uh, we wanted to do something where good, good seasons, because I mean, it's, it, it's hard. We were living an hour and a half outside of uh, the Bronx. So every day over the GW Bridge became a little bit tiresome when you had two small children under the age of two. Mm. So we made the decision and when we re relocated from, uh, from New York, we came to Florida and we lived in Ponte Vedra Beach. Okay. What was it that drew you guys to the Jacksonville, St. Augustine area at that point? Uh, compared to, you said you had had a job opportunity in Miami or say somewhere like Tampa or Orlando. In New York, which um, I don't think you'll, you'll hear this from anybody else who's been a public defender unless they were one in New York, is that we were union attorneys. Um, probably the only lawyer union that I'm aware of existed in the Bronx. So um, it was wonderful, but the taxation, which was really prevalent, not only did I have state tax, I had city you know, tax, and then I had borough, you know, because you got taxed for that. And at the time, you know, making $50,000 and having two small children in daycare that cost $24,000 and they didn't even teach them the ABCs was, I mean, from a, from a perspective of, well, do I want to work and then not see my children and, you know, have them in daycare for half my salary? Or do I want to go to a place where at least seasonally, seasonally it's nice, you know, nine months out of the year, sunshine, the kids can have, you know, maybe better opportunities and not so much with the tax. And, you know, the... The income tax or no income tax in Florida was very desirable in coming here. So we packed up the minivan at the time and we relocated to Florida and never looked back. So that's that. That sounds pretty uh, amazing. I know a lot of people. <clears throat> actually, Florida's having a big uh, 
uh, a big uh, influx of people coming from New York right now. It's wonderful as long yeah. as they don't bring the New York politics with them. I will be very happy because it's definitely a great place. Cost of living, although it's gone up in the 20 years, um, it's definitely, uh, you know, it, it, what's the definition of insanity? So if they come down here and they do or vote the same way, then unfortunately our great state may not have the benefit of why we all relate. I think you're seeing that in a lot of the uh, southern states at this point, like places like Florida, places like Texas, that don't have those state income taxes, where you're starting to get the people from some of these more liberal states that they've kind of been overrun by what the Democratic policies have been, and then they're kind of relocating there. I know Austin's had a huge influx the same way we are in Florida. Let me ask you a question, Anne-Marie, because a lot of people, and uh, a lot of people know you as this very outgoing uh, person, and when they mess with you, they, they say when you poke the bear, you like get in their face. You're not scared. You're not scared, but a lot of people also say that you're very humble. So I'm gonna go ahead and ask you, because I don't think you're gonna tell us about this. Uh, we, we saw somewhere that you uh, are gonna be awarded, or you received an award, or are receiving an award, fairly soon. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that's important. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a funny story. Um, I, I'm of the opinion that when you do pro bono work or you do work for somebody for free or you volunteer to do something like that, I don't think that you do it with the intent to get award or accolades. That's just how I, that's my personal belief. Um, <clears throat> in St. John's County, as well as the other counties in the circuit, they have legal aid societies which do offer indigent uh, services and, and legal services to those that are in need of it. I specifically, I, I've done pro bono in all four of our counties within the circuit, but most of the pro bono work that I do is prim primarily in St. Augustine. About five years ago, one of the judges um, appointed me on a case and he just said, you know, make sure you report your hours. And I had mentioned to him that I don't really report them because if I do it, I do it because I want to do it, not because somebody forced me to do it. And he made a very good point to me. He said, well, you do a lot. You need to put your hours in because legally it gets credit for that, for funding and things like that. And why shouldn't you get your award? So I made a deal with him that I would only put my hours in on even years every other year. And so I've been, uh, I've been <laughs> graced with the fact that I have received three awards in the last few years for doing community service work. Unbeknownst to me, the woman who runs Legal Aid, her name is Megan Wall in St. Augustine, put my name in to get a more uh, prestigious. A prestigious award up in Jacksonville at their, um, at their annual banquet. So I was uh, humbled and surprised. And like I said, I don't, I don't do it because I want an award. That's the last reason why I do it. I do it because I just think that there are those that injustice happens to them. Veterans, disabled. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be criminal defendants. I've done lots of, you know, pro bono work that's not criminally related. Uh, custody cases, and if I do it, I do it because I want to, not because I think that there's going to be a trophy or a, everybody gets a prize at the end of it. So that's, so I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I can't say that I'm not excited because I really am, but I, it wasn't expected and I definitely didn't plan for that, so. Is there a date for that ceremony yes. or? Yeah, it's. Um, and can anybody go? There's a cost for the tickets because okay. it's, it's a it's a big fundraising event for JALA, which is Jacksonville Area Legal Aid. Okay. It's next Wednesday the 18th, and the name of the ceremony. Let me see if I have it here. Um, I can I can find it, but 
it's from Jala, and it's one of the awards that they do. So um, very we, grateful. We can post it um, on the on the posting of the podcast uh folks you know when we do our podcast uh, I, I know i always mention it i like to mention it a lot is uh these are these are live they're pretty much unedited unless you know michael tries to prank me and give you know call me and interrupt my recording or, or we have some major technical difficulty with your phone going down <laughs> <laughs> hey hey be nice um here it is uh, equal justice awards celebration it's going to be held at the Hyatt Regency uh, Jacksonville Riverfront. It's uh, 5.30. The cocktail reception starts. Uh, VIP as well. You get to meet Matthew Desmond. And then 6.30 is when the dinner starts. So it's it, this is actually a big deal. This is like a almost like a gala dinner, right? It's like a gala dinner, and it's a very big fundraising event. Um, a lot of the attorney big firms in Jacksonville that do pro bono as one of the mandates with the Florida Bar actually sponsor it. Uh, majority of the money, if not all of it, goes to legal aid in the um, towards you know indigent defense, um, meaning you know housing, uh, social security. So it, it kind of goes to all the different groups, and the attorneys are, are really great. And every year they, they pick an attorney or a judge to honor. So, but this is like a special award that's for the circuits. So. Uh, I know that uh, we also have our own gala that's going to be coming up here in uh, Volusia County for the uh, RNHA State Conference. Um, I know that you've gotten uh, personally involved with that. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Or Well, she did a little bit more than that. She, out of everybody in this state, she was the very first one that stepped it up. And she actually sponsored the, she sponsored the lunch for that event. I mean, she, you know, she, she, she really went out of her way to make sure that she said, look, I'm involved. I'm very blessed that my law firm is successful and I'm able to get back on many different levels, whether it be a Facebook person who's looking for medical expenses for somebody who needs them or obviously community service work for those that can't. Um, I believe that the cause for this is extremely important. I think that representation from all groups of people are, are really, really important. I believe in the mandate. I believe in what the organization does. And I'm very sparing in where I do give my money because I'm allowed to do, as a small business owner yeah. law office, I can pick and choose. And this was one of the ones that I was I was excited about being able to contribute to that. I know we're really grateful for it. Yeah. So. Now, b before we go on our first break, uh, I have to ask you a question. How did you hear about the RNHA? Because I hear there's a story to that too. There is a story. So, um, I actually uh, am, qual am qualified to handle death penalty cases as co-counsel. And I've, I've done a few cases with uh, local attorneys as well as murder cases. So I was in Lake Mary for, um, I think it was Death is Different. Um, there's, there's two of them, uh, and Life Over Death and Death is Different. And there was the one in February, and I actually had seen an ad on Facebook for it and saw that it was obviously Republican. It was um, Hispanic. I was like, oh, that sounds great. And I had reached out just to ask if you guys can speak. So while I was at my seminar learning about death penalty and all the you know things, new things and things like that, I um, <laughs> found you guys and kind of reached out thinking it might be a, a great opportunity to meet some people in Deltona, DeBerry and places I normally wouldn't go. Plus, I like touring our circuit since it's so big, and the nice part was I was only 20 miles away, so it worked out really well. 
Well, and we, we've, we've been blessed to have you uh, be one of our speakers at, at, at the club meeting after that uh, message you sent us. And uh, I think uh, we're going to have uh, Anne-Marie Janusa around for, 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 for a very long time, involved in our community. We're and, hoping uh, so. Well, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, go to our first commercial break, Michael. Work on paying the bills a little bit today. A little bit? Well, hopefully a lot. Uh, if you guys have friends who want to listen, you know, tell them to tune in. <laughs> All right, folks, uh, we, we will be back shortly. And we're back with the uh, second segment of Hispanics Lead Right. I'm your co-host, Michael Bowman. And I think I'm your co-host, Santiago Avila Jr. Sometimes. And this is uh, uh, brought to you by the Republican National Hispanic Assembly of Florida. It is. Welcome back. Uh, we have uh, Amory Janusa with us. You said it right. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, we're going to be talking about our uh, campaign for public defender in uh, Judicial District 7. Um, why is it that you're running, uh, Amory? You know, that is the number one question that not only did I ask myself, but I seem to, everybody wants to know why. So, Well, you um, do have one of the most successful law firms in the, in the Jacksonville area, so to be stepping aside from that for a job that I'm sure is going to pay you much less. Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's not really about the money, it's about the fact of, and, and like I said, it will probably sound very corny and cliche, but um, I believe in the Constitution. I believe in the law, <laughs> thank you, and I believe in our legal system. And as somebody who has practiced law, you know, in three states of in our United States, and have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, I don't think there's a, any better um, thing to do but to represent or to sustain or to uphold and assist in the core values of our Constitution. Whether it be you're charged with a crime, whether it be an injunction for protection gets filed against a person and they lose, you know, their house, you know, custody of their children. I mean, that's extremely important. And, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting because Florida was really the case that kind of created what we now know is the public defender's office. What is, what is it that, that really, I guess, draws you to be to uh, that type of work over uh, rep purposeful representation in the private sector? Well, I'm a Republican female. I own a business. I've raised children. Um, you know, government has its place. And when government overreaches, that threatens your, you know, your rights, my rights, law-abiding people's rights. And everyone deserves to have a defense. I mean, we saw it. I think um, the two things that we've actually seen um, this, you know, this generation or this, you know, millennial has been, you know, Donald Trump and the fact that you can be accused of something and you're entitled to due process. Whether you like the guy or not, you know, he's still entitled to the protections under the Constitution. Whether you like Kavanaugh or Kavanaugh or not, he's entitled to protections under the Constitution. Um, you know, uh, one of the justices said it the best that, you know, lawyers, especially in criminal courts, are not luxuries, they're necessities. And I shouldn't be, just because I have more money than you, or less money than you, you shouldn't be entitled to have that defense, whatever that may be. Let me, let me ask you a question, because <clears throat> some, some people don't know. Uh, what is it that a public defender actually does? Public defenders 
exclusively do the cases that are called criminal cases in nature. So obviously theft, homicide, um, you know, oh gosh, there's so many, DUI, um, loitering, prostitution. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's a gamut. I mean, the statutes, there's... So you, you're, the, you're the person or the office is the person that pretty much says you're innocent until proven guilty. They, they uphold the constitution, meaning they make the government prove their case or it's like checks and balances. I mean, a lot of mm -hmm. people understand that. They, they don't maybe understand what the office is, but they understand that there's like a checks and balances. So for example, I, I'm, a, I'm a cop and I want to get a warrant. It has to be based on probable cause and has to go be, you know, a third party, neutral third party. They just can't say I'm coming in your house. Even if you say no, I'm coming in your house. So government, meaning law enforcement or, um, you know, to the extreme, um, just law enforcement in general, can't just say, I'm going to do these things without the, the protections that you get in the, under the constitution. And that's a great thing. But like media, fake news, you know, you hear all sorts of negative. So you'll hear people say, well, that person got off on a technicality. I, I hear that, you know, I've heard that. To me, the Constitution is not a technicality. We all have a job to play, exactly. a role to play. I mean, I'm, I'm in a very unique situation that my husband is a retired cop. He was a sergeant with our local sheriff's office in St. Augustine, St. John's County, and he gets it. And people that love our country, love our constitution, they get it. Not all defendants are guilty. And so shouldn't guilty or innocent, shouldn't you be entitled to defend yourself? I mean, that's what it does. So what if you served our country? I always use this scenario when I walk around and, and talk about this, and you're a veteran. You come home, your wife divorces you, your kids go, you're, now you're a drinker, you're an alcoholic and you are accused of stealing crab legs, for lack of something better. Why, sh and you don't have money, you're on you know, public assistance or you're on social security, whatever. You should be entitled, and you are entitled under, um, since Gideon v. Wainwright, you're entitled to have an attorney appointed to you because justice should not be bought just because of the money you have. I should get the same justice as somebody else. So the public defender's office is established to do that. And that's really, really, I mean, the gist of what the office does. If I am successful and I'm elected, I would be the, really the CFO or CEO, making sure the budgeting works well, hiring and firing, you know, hiring the best and the brightest. And sometimes, you know, jobs mean you have to fire people if they're not doing what needs to be done. Do you think uh, leading up to this election that <clears throat> There are things you could see improved with the with the public defender's office in this district. I believe no matter what business, including my law firm, there is always room for improvement. I make it a habit every January or really end of December. I look at what I'm doing for the year, what's worked financially, what hasn't, and I reevaluate every year. I think that this office is very important, and why I think I'm the best candidate for it is a few reasons. Number one. I've run multiple businesses. I just didn't have a successful law firm. I actually ran a small um, quasi-cafe, wine, beer, coffee, and ran it very successfully. Um, I've had other businesses that are not related to the law, so I get the big picture. 
because I'm so motivated to do a great job, whatever business I do, I went even after having a law degree and got two um, certificates, master's level from Villanova, one in healthcare, and, um, excuse me, one in um, human resource management, the other one in government contracting, because I think it's very important to be well-rounded no matter what you do. Human resources is what gets lots of businesses in trouble. I bring to the table the fact that I've taken multiple courses on it, I get it, and I understand what needs to be done to comply with those laws. That's very important when you're running a state entity. I mean, if you don't know how it really works or you've never done it, you shouldn't be using taxpayer money to learn on the job. That's important. Well, especially somewhere like you know Judicial District 7, we've got two of the largest population cities in the state between Jacksonville and Daltona of all places. Right. Um, our circuit is St. Augustine, you know, which is St. Augustine, which just has a lot of population. I mean, I, you know, you think our circuit's really big. Well, so is St. John's County. St. John's County is big because it's long, you know, goes from up north all the way like, you know, Julington Creek, Ponte Vedra, which is on the east, all the way out to Hastings, you know, which is on Putnam County border, all the way down to like Flagler County. I mean, it's a very big land mass. Behind Volusia County, I believe it's the second largest population. All Central Florida. Yeah. Holy crap, you notice something here, Michael? Hmm. She actually knows her district. <laughs> she really does. Uh, we've we've talked with uh, quite a few politicians over with the last two years that you'd be surprised. They can name that, a couple of places, but she but, literally... But she <laughs> knows the entire outline of her entire district. Where you traced it. I'm very impressed. Well, if you're going to represent, well, also, I practice law in the four circuits, in the four counties, so I kind of understand Putnam County is very different than Volusia County, which is very different from St. John's County, which is very different from Flagler County. You know, I used to joke about the more south you go, the more north you get. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, pretty much. You know, <laughs> yeah. We just have a little better weather because we have more seasonal stuff than Miami. But, I mean, it's the, it's the same mindset. Unless, uh, well, Miami's a different case, though. Miami Miami's like, yeah. You get to Miami, it's like you just arrived to Little Havana. It's a whole other world. Yeah. We, speak actually, Spanish, we speak English. <laughs> I actually tried a case down there. I actually represented somebody pro bono who was charged with a vehicular homicide from like 25 years ago. And the way wow. he got found out was he went to renew his license and they told him he had a warrant. So I had to actually, I helped him because it was a mistaken identity and I did some stuff down in Miami. And was the, your judicial experience down there quite different from what it is in this area or...? Believe it or not, every county is different. So, for example, I've practiced not only in our circuit, in our four counties, but I've practiced in outlying counties like Clay County, Nassau County, um, Duval County. I've done uh, Osceola County. I mean, each county is totally different. The way they do procedures, the way the lawyers deal with things. one of the things for me that's been kind of, you know, uh, keeping it, you know, real or keeping it, you know, uh, refreshing and, and new is that when I do practice in other counties, I like to know what do you do when I call up? What, is, what are the judges like? What, you know, what's going to work in that county? That's really important because when you go to all these different counties, you do deal with different personalities, different rules. And seriously, from even from St. John's to Duval, which is literally I could walk over the line. Very different the way than we handle it here. Let, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> and uh, actually, b- because I did, uh, a, a couple of people are uh, waiting to listen to this podcast. And uh, I did get two or three questions. People were like, oh, you're going to interview Anne-Marie. Let, let, I, wanna, I would like to know about this. Um, 
So right now in the state of Florida, or I'm pretty sure this happens in every state, um, it seems like the state attorney is always trying to meet some type of quota. You know, they, they, they want to meet, make sure, okay, this is my record. I, I don't know why, you know, maybe they're going to run for something and they, they need to prove that they've successfully convicted either out of a misdemeanor or a felony, these many people. And maybe the person doesn't have anything that's, maybe it was a mistake, I don't know. As a public defender, uh, and this is why the question is leading to that, um, a lot of the public defenders like to make these, uh, I guess, deals where they know they can do better for their client, but the, the state attorney kind of says, I'll throw you a bone and if you throw me one. I mean, will you allow things like that? I mean, I know it sounds like such a stupid question, but the question was asked like kind of like kind of like a tit for tat on the backs of their clients. Yes, right. So, I've been doing this for twenty, almost twenty-five years, probably more than twenty-five, because although I wasn't an attorney, I've actually tried cases even when I was not an attorney because yeah. we have internship programs and things like that, and I've also practiced in three jurisdictions. So. New York is different than Pennsylvania or specifically Philadelphia is different from Florida. Plea bargaining is what I think you're referring to yes. is a normal part of the process <clears throat> for a couple reasons. Number one, the volume of cases that comes in is just almost impossible for the, not only the state but for defense attorneys to be able to handle. You can do a Google search and you can see public defenders offices throughout the country just overpopulated with cases. Um, Volusia County, St. John's County, all our county, our circuit is not different than that. So what happens is there's a lot of misconceptions as to what the system is, how the process works. You're in bed with the you know, state, you're in bed with the cops. I mean, you know, 25 years you hear all sorts of different things. Yeah. Most people charged with the crime that have never been charged before are rudely awakened as to how our system works. It's, it's scary. Your liberty is taken away. Um, you know, you you're you know you, you meeting this person who's going to really help you, and you know, pretty much you're putting your life in that person's hands. And it's a very scary proposition. But the way the system works is having a good rapport not only with law enforcement but with the state attorneys that you have cases with. Public defender is not, or just defense attorney in general, is not a very popular position to be. It's, it's one of those jobs that is kind of an unsung hero due to the fact that some of the people that you do represent may not be what people would consider your standard um, pillars of society. That being said, it doesn't minimize them anymore or take away the fact that they're people that are charged with crimes. 90% of the individuals who go through the criminal justice system do take or offer or take a plea bargain or a diversion program or something because there's a lot of reasons. You've interviewed numerous people. Not everybody is a great public speaker. So for example, you have the ultimate right to testify on your behalf. The lawyer can't make that decision for you. That is solely for the client. But you know that your client may stutter or come across as maybe shady or just, you know, just not genuine. genuine. So when you talk to that person, you have the conversation, you will point out not only the strengths and the weaknesses of not only the state's case and your case, but you remember there's a jury. A jury is the one, six people you've never met before 
are going to hear your story and decide whether or not you're innocent or guilty unless you have a you know, jury, non-jury trial and then a judge would decide. So there's many, many reasons why people will take a plea or pleas are off, offered. Now, one of the big cases that just came out, I think, was um, Felicity Huffman, who was charged with the big scandal in California. There were a couple of verdicts this week that came out. The, the college uh, SAT one. Correct. So when evaluating a case, and I'm not a state attorney, but I just kind of know what they may think about, they look at what is your prior, prior criminal record? Have you done anything for the community to make you a viable person that we would want to offer you maybe a lesser charge? charge? Um, what is the relationship with the defense attorney and the state? Is it somebody who we're going to be able to work with or is it going to become an animosity? You know, because remember, our job is the Constitution and defending our clients. It's not to make friends, although it's nice if you could have a cordial relationship with the people that you work with, law enforcement included. Exactly. Um, I've represented multiple law enforcement officers charged with crimes as well, so I, I get it. They get it even tougher. The public opinion or being tried in the media, it's, it's a balancing act. You know, we have our First Amendment rights, but the defendant's rights are just as important. Whether you like them or not, they're entitled to a defense. So although I know there was um, some issues with, you know, high profile cases and why did that person get what they got, you know, I'm not the prosecutor. They make a charging decision based on a couple things. It should never be that they make the decision of what the justice is going to be or what the offer is going to be based on just public opinion. And I'm glad you answered that because I wanted to set it up that way. So your, your, your honest answer came out, which it did. And so people can see, you know, they can, are there flaws in their system? Absolutely. But is there enough flaws where you can't trust the system? And I don't think there's enough flaws for you to say, well, I can't trust, you know, our legal system. I think our legal system has at times has, you know, it's flaws, but at the same time, I think it, it you know, Lady Justice wears a blindfold exactly. for a reason. And she holds uh, a balance of just because she wants to be fair. Right. And um, oh, no system is going to be 100% perfect. It's just kind of hoping for the most level uh, playing field you can get. And that's the job of the public defender is to make sure the playing field is level. Like, for example, in other countries, you know, China, you're accused of something. They'll just drag you out in the street and shoot you. I mean, that's yeah. that's the epitome of what we don't have here. And, and like I said, we're not perfect. I mean, no system is 100% foolproof or perfect. And... You know, we do have the death penalty, and you know, for me, it's it should not be a political issue, although it does become a political issue. Um, but at the end of the day, when you look at other countries, we are the best. Our system works because of our constitution, and because you do have rights. I mean, it's it's almost scary to think that you know the right to counsel, you know, under Gideon v. Wainwright was only 1963. That is not that long ago. No, I mean, I'm 52, really so it's 55 years ago. Um, coincidentally, it happened in Florida, which was the test case, because Florida has a lot of those test cases. <clears throat> and the crime that he was alleged to have committed was committed on my birthday. So I guess I was meant to be an attorney <laughs> and to be ultimately the public defender. But, but those are real concerns. And, and the public, lay people that are not part of the criminal justice system, whether it be law enforcement, lawyers, bailiffs, probation officers, even the court personnel, you know, um, court clerks and things like that, we we get it and that to outsiders they'll be like oh yeah there's deals or there's this or there's that and i'm not saying that may not happen but the system as a whole if you start cherry picking the cases 
And I use that with the ones, unfortunately, with law enforcement, you know, looking like they're not behaving well. You can cherry pick anything to make it look like it's what it is. Yeah. So, and, 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 and before we go, I do want to bring up one case later on. It, it's really not a public uh, defender, or, or it could be, but um, I think here, what I see the most, and, and you know, I think the office of the public defender is very underappreciated because people automatically see somebody that is, been, is being charged with something, and our public opinion is they're guilty. And it should always be the other way. It's they're innocent until proven guilty. Well, I think some of that, though, too, is is kind of the media influence over Absolutely. the way that case will be presented. That you know, Donald the, Trump, the, the wording that they're Donald using. Well, not even just Donald Trump. I mean, things right down to some of like the smallest criminal offenses. When you see something represented in the public media, the way that they word things, the way that they'll kind of border out the story of it. They make it come across as that person has already been convicted in the public eye. What do you remember the case of Trayvon Martin? I do. Uh, George Zimmerman. Zimmerman. Um, you know he and I know that's a very touchy case. It's very very controversial. controversial. And but it's only controversial because we had Al Sharpening come all the way over here, and they turned it more into a race, race case, case than they did an actual legal representation yeah. of what happened. And. Uh, for those of us that have actually spoken to the guy, um, I mean, not me personally, but I have a good friend of mine who has who has spoken to him personally, and uh, some of the stuff that the media did not release that is there made him look like the bad guy. I actually ran into him in an establishment in Sanford about two years ago, and it was the same type of thing that, you know, kind of looking across the bar, seeing, you know, is that George Zimmerman? Well, they, they and, ruined and, the guy's and, life, and, you know that. And he saw, oh, they did. And he saw us kind of watching him, and it made him nervous at first. Yeah. So one of my friends actually went over, introduced himself, said, look, you know, we just want to know, are you, they say, are, you know, if you want, come on over, have a drink with us. We'd love to hear your side of the story. Emery, um, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really good point. And, and it's just, you know, that, that's why I say the public defender's office sometimes is underappreciated. And they should, it should be looked at as probably one of the, the victors of our Constitution because, you know, a lot of people are like, well, the Constitution tells you what your rights are. That's not correct. Our rights are, are we're given our rights, we're endowed by our Creator. Our Constitution is there to tell government when they're overstepping their bounds. And the Public Defender's Office is there to make sure that government knows that. Well, right. I think a lot of times, too, if you look at our, our, our judicial system, and again, going back to media, the way that it's represented, everything from a prosecution <laughs> standpoint is treated like the offense, the, 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 you know, the high scoring, yeah. you know, touchdowns going down the field. And the defense is always like, you know, the, the ones that are in the background and aren't really recognized, you know, like the, the adage they use in sports that, you know, offense, you know, when, uh, puts asses in the seats, defense wins championships. Yeah. So I'm gonna. The question I wanted to ask you, Emery, <clears throat> you actually have an opponent who was working uh, here locally in Daltona on a case with our city manager, uh, with R.J. Larissa. Okay. And um, you know, everybody can look it up. It's public record. It was Spencer Hathaway. Okay. And um, she was. I don't want to say co- she was convicted. She was, she was charged with six felonies. Six felonies. Actually, seven, but one of one of six, them. Six felony. Out. Six felony voter voter fraud charges. Uh, one of them passed the statutes of limitations, so she she couldn't be charged with seven. Um, 
We have over 90,000 people in the city of Daltona. We're about 10, 11,000 people away from being as big as West Palm Beach. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. And uh, the city manager here makes six-figure salary, even though the household oh, it's, income... It's a high six-figure yeah, salary. The household income here is about 40,000, give or take. Uh, the reason why I'm bringing all this up is <clears throat> you're a very intelligent woman. I, th I think sometimes Michael's a very intelligent man. Generally. I, I know I'm... You know, I'm smart. Uh, that's not the conceited, but the, the point, yeah, the point I'm trying to make is when it comes time to vote, we know where we, I mean, we, we look up who we're going to vote for, you know, the people that are like involved in politics, you know, some people just go and they vote, they look for the R or the D, whatever it is. But in general, the people, you know, people are very, they, they, they already know who they're going to vote for. And, uh, this lady for multiple years constantly voted Outside of her district, I mean, her two home, full two full voting cycles as well as two primaries. Yeah, her home address was registered at City Hall. When you look at the type of conviction she received, she got uh, community what, what hundred hundred hours of community service and what essentially accounted to about five thousand dollars in fines. On top of that, she lied in her. Um, Statement to the uh, FPLE. Uh, to the FPLE. So, my, so th this is where the distrust from the general public come in. Right. And, you know, and I'm sorry if he feels like I'm being mean to him. I think he, he's a very nice person. Um, but, you know, I'm, and I'm not here to judge him because God knows I have so many more flaws than anybody else. But my point is, is that how do you defend the action that you take? With that person, because let's let's be frank, mm -hmm. if it would have been somebody like like me who's not high profile, or maybe somebody like Michael, um, that would have six different times, seven technically, we would have got some type of jail jail sentence. And she essentially got what didn't account to much more than a pretrial diversion contract, which is you know something they offer to people for. Possession of alcohol by a person under 21 or, or, or some of these so much smaller charges. The point that I'm trying to make is you have an experience that obviously this person does not have. And and I'm not trying to pin him against you or, or whatever. It's just... He's a, he's a, he is a really nice guy. No, yeah, I, yeah no. he is. We, he we is. Yeah, we met him. him. Yeah. yeah. But how do you defend that? How do you defend your boss? And Because RJ Larissa is his boss. How do you, how do you defend that? What, when... The, it's it's just, it's not right, <laughs> and I'm sorry if I'm putting you in a bad position right now. No, I understand. Like I was saying, there's there's so much that goes into cases that may be considered high profile, and although although she's accused of it, and she I'm I'm assuming she took a plea. She took, she took a plea that basically she would do these things and as long as she right. completed her contract, they would not uh, continue with prosecution. Right. So here's my take on something like that. We don't know what evidence they really had. We don't know. There's evidentiary things that are way over your head and I'm not going to give you a 101 yeah. evidence, <laughs> but there's certain things that you can and can't prove, you know, and, and I always think about the vehicular homicide cases, the identity where it didn't happen. What happened was the blood wound up in somebody's cop car for years and they lost it. And then they had found it 
and we needed to get it tested to exonerate the guy that I was representing. So in the specific case you're saying, we don't know a lot of things, because remember, when you get the media, you get one part of the picture, and it gets revved up, and the fact that you're upset about it means that however it was portrayed was negative, that gives you a negative opinion. So I know Mr. Larissa. I worked with Mr. Larissa. We were prosecutors for a brief time together. I know that he takes the job seriously. I mean, he's, you know, he's the chief law enforcement officer. He runs the state attorney's office. If I win, I'm going to represent the public defender's office. I would be the head of the public defender's office. We're both doing a part with the Constitution. But here's the thing. If 20 people start complaining, or just even 30, and say, we don't like that, then what happens is you become that mob mentality. And so he shouldn't be swayed for or against what should be the right thing for whatever case, whether it be her case or not. Now, the ultimate result may not make you happy, but remember, there's so much that we're not getting. I mean, it's like, do you guys remember, um, this case has always bothered me, Shanda Levy? Mm -hmm. Okay, you remember, and he happened to be a Democrat, but he was charged, Gary Condit was charged with her murder, and he was the chief suspect, because he was having an affair with her. And come to find out, back in 2002, when they found her remains, they figured out it really wasn't his, him, but his life was ruined. So although the case you're talking about may not be the result that you would have liked to have seen, that may be an enigma compared to maybe the guy on the street who really didn't steal the crab legs or really didn't beat his wife or really didn't you know, do something that he's, the DUI. So, the system works, it's not perfect. And there are gonna be, you know, cases that tug on national, you know, like Kaylee Anthony. I yeah. mean, I don't know many people that are, feel sympathetic towards her. But she's entitled to a defense. Whether you like her, wanna have coffee with her, tea with her, that's irrelevant. Absolutely. And I really believe, and I really, in my heart of hearts, believe this, that the Constitution protects all of us. And if we forget why it's there, then we lose our way. And if it can happen to the president, or it's a, you know almost a Supreme Court justice, can happen to anybody. It can happen to anybody, and that's the scary part. Not the fact that Mr. Larissa may have you know given an offer that everybody hates and feels like oh my gosh you know. It's the fact that the system works. And it's better than anywhere else. And look, I'm open and I've practiced, you know, and studied law in other countries. I did a summer abroad in Greece, got to learn about common law versus civil law. So I, I get it, but we become so judgmental and that's not our job. First of all, I believe God's the one that's going to make ultimate that's right, yeah, decision. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're all kind of here conduit, you know, for life. But at the end of the day, that one may not make you happy, but there might be some others where justice is served or you feel that, the, you know, the system worked. And it just becomes TV really, and the media really don't help that, you know, when it's a, it's a technicality. Well, no, that's the Constitution, and I take it very seriously, and I do believe in the Constitution. And so getting back to your original question, why would I leave a successful law practice to do it? Because I truly, in my heart of hearts, when I wake up, I do law day for kids and I give out constitutions. I really do believe 
I believe it and I believe in it and I believe what happens and if we if we don't then we just don't become any better than any other country and see I think after you know we, we've been able to meet with a couple of your opponents at this point and, and just from my own personal perspective I think that's what really kind of separates you from some of the other people that are in this race that that when you're speaking about it, you're speaking about it from the heart Passion. whereas as some of the other pre, uh, presentations we've gotten of why these people run it, it comes almost across like like a press piece and being a creative writing major you know i, I can kind of sit there and pick apart words on things you major in something you're okay. funny <laughs> and and uh you, you can kind of feel the way that you word things and the way that you present them that that it is more of a passion for you and not just this here's why i'm presenting it doesn't feel like a book report. Well, the, fu- the truth of the matter was I did apply at the public defender's office when I came down in 99. Um, at the time, I was a single mother, and I was offered $25,000 <sighs> as a starting salary. And I asked for 5000 more. And it wasn't Mr. Purdy. It was Mr. Gibson before him. And he told me he could not give me that money. And I wrote him, bring kind of tongue-in-cheek, a ten, top 10 list as to why... I wanted the job and why I thought, you know, and, and I never thought, and I'm truly humbled and blessed that I've had the opportunity to do something and be successful at it and be able to help provide for my family and do good at the same time. The big joke was if I won lotto, I'd probably just quit my job and do like a public defender office like my own. But I, this is kind of a full circle for me, you know, 25 years doing it, really 28 in defense work. Um, before that, I was a paralegal for seven in the Bronx. This is kind of like my swan song, meaning my goal throughout my legal career has culminated in this moment. I do want to be the public defender, and if I'm successful, that will be ultimately amazing. But if I'm not, I'll still continue to do and to fight for our Constitution and to do the things, the, you know, the, the squeaky wheel, you know, the the nail in the tire because I do believe it's important and I do believe law enforcement is good and I do believe the prosecutor really wants to do the right thing for and seek justice not convictions and that may sound like may sound naive but you know what I've lived it I've seen it and I'm going to continue to do that I think we need more people like that there's just so much negativity right now in our country and uh that it gives us a little bit of a a fresh feel because it's, like you said, even with the, the case that we just spoke about, everything was so negative. Uh, most of these high-profile cases, like, you know, the, the, the lady that uh, came out in a full, full house, right? Mm-hmm. I, I always forget her name. I'm sorry. Felicity Huffman. Yes. Yeah. She, you know, she paid off something for some SATs or whatever. And so she, she gets like 14 days in prison or something. Yeah, we have people coming into the country now, this is coming from somebody well, who's half... Huff hold on, hold on, the, the, the hold on. One of the cases. Okay. The false was the other one, but the I, same... I'm, I'm half Mexican and half Cuban, so before any of you go on there and say, oh my God, he's being racist. Um, we got people coming in from other, other, other countries, and the government's giving them free education. That's like a slap in the face to us Americans. I mean, regardless or, of what country you come from. Or those from. of us that have taken out student loans to do it. Yeah, so I mean, it's a it's a, bre- a breath of fresh air to hear you being very positive. Um, We're a country of laws. Yeah, and whatever the laws are, you go against what your mandate is, what your um, fiduciary duty is, what your obligation is. If you don't uphold the laws, whether you like, look, there's lots of laws I don't like, but they're the laws. 
And as a defense attorney, and as a mom, and as the wife of a retired law enforcement officer, they are to be filed. You know, they're to be followed. That's that's how it goes. Whether I like, I don't get to pick and choose what fits my narrative or what fits whatever I want to talk about for you know today. Yeah. Um, you know, and like I said, I've represented cops, and it's very high profile because the jury or people have already convicted them, and that's not how it's supposed to be. And you would want whoever's in this position to fight, no matter whether I, you know, like you or don't like you. And in fact, you know, it's hard when you really like the person and you know that maybe um, it, it's not the way that it really happened. And, you know, they're, they're, they have to take a plea because, because the penalty might be so severe. But that's legislative stuff. That's not Mr. LaRizza's fault and that's not my fault. The movement is finally going towards restorative justice. That actually makes sense what she, what she just said that... You know, maybe they do think, like in the case of the prosecutor, that this person, you know, all the evidence points that they are guilty, but that the punishment is just way so harsh that they would really ruin that person's life, I guess. Uh, you know, and we, we've seen people get convicted. Oh, you know, multiple times. You know, not too long ago, the gentleman that was released from like 20 years in prison. Well, there's a... Uh, it happens. It 20 happens. 20 years in prison. And then a, D, a simple DNA test that they didn't have in the past. Correct. They have it now. And, the, you know, I see the guy coming out of prison. He's crying. And you're telling, oh, they ruined your life. He doesn't care. He's like, I'm free. Like the one they just made the movie about with the football player from Georgia that was supposed to go to USC, got convicted, spent 15, 20 years in prison. And, and to come find out that there was nothing behind it. And this was a kid that was on track, played Division One football, would have gotten his education... And, and what do you do at 40 years old at that point? Well, Anne-Marie, it's, it's to, at least to me, uh, it's been an extreme pleasure to have you on our show. And um, where can people look up your law uh, office or your, your candidacy? I mean, do you have websites? I'm sure you do. Um, I'm really blessed that I don't advertise tons for my law firm. Okay. I do a lot of word of mouth. Um, I'm not trying to sound one way or another, but I would do a case and somebody would chase me out and ask for my card. And it was great. I mean, it's, it's been a great ride. Speaks volumes. Um, and, you know, my office phone number is 904-827-0775. I debate back and forth with becoming, you know, technology savvy and having a website. I'm still kind of a relic where I do, like I carry my planner. I don't do everything on my computer. Um, people think I'm younger, but I am in my 50s. So, you know, I, I'm still kind of attached to that. As far as my website for my campaign, it's uh, Genusa, G-E-N-N-U-S-A, the number four, pd.com. And you can read about some of the things I've done. And, you know, it's been, a, it's been a great ride. I have no regrets. My kids are great. Everybody's doing well. My husband, you know, thankfully was able to retire and not, you know, be killed by the guy who hit him with a car. And, uh, and look, and even he was entitled to a defense and he tried to hit and kill my husband. That's that's how it works. And yes. you can't be a true constitutionalist and believe in our system if you handpick when it applies to you. Look, I hated it. I hated it. But when the prosecutor asked us what we wanted, we said, look, you know, you do your job. You're going to make a plea offer. You do what you got to do. I mean, that's the right way to do it. I'm not going to use because, you know, of who I am or who I know. That's not how that works. So for what that's worth. But thank you for having me. I think it's been a great interview. Um, it, 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 to kind of reiterate it, it seems to be that we've had a running theme with some of our guests recently with people that have been able to work on something that was their passion, work hard, kind of, you know, live the quote-unquote American dream and kind of 
in their swan song, to use Amory's uh, words, uh, they're kind of able to go back now and do something that means something to them personally. Martine, with what he's doing now with Heartbeat uh, Miami, you know, Zenaida, after 30 years as an educator, being able to go in now and, and, and run for public office at the state level. Anne-Marie here being able to take a successful law firm and now kind of being given back to her community by wanting to be the public defender. It's, it's, it's kind of inspirational. Well, folks, uh, <clears throat> again, Anne-Marie, thank you for being on our show. Um, this has been another podcast of... Hispanics Lead Right, a rep, uh, publication of the Republican National Hispanic Assembly of Florida. And uh, hopefully we'll have Matt Morgan here really soon. So you really uh, wanted to say that, did you? I did. I absolutely <laughs> did. Uh, Matt, if you're uh, listening to the podcast, I know I've said it before. You have a, a little fan over here that uh, is. He, I think he's, you're going to scare him away at this yeah, point. He, he wants you to slam him on the floor while we're interviewing uh, live. And uh, who, who we really want at this point? I mean, let's start shooting for the moon. Candace Owens. Okay. Okay. He 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 did that. All right, folks. Thank you very much. I hope everybody has a blessed day and. Uh, Share, 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 share. Ciao. Toodles. You guys are so funny. <laughs>